I will be playing my college football at the University of Drops to the 50, now steps behind the 50, runs to the right side of the 45, Wisconsin to the 40, throws it long down the field toward the end zone, Devin Smith, touchdown! Devin Smith, he's got it for a touchdown in the middle of the end. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Josh, this has been the, I know I say it every week, the best week of college football uh, and probably the weirdest week of college football. Biggest story, obviously, number three Michigan taking on number 10 Penn State without their head coach because it was announced late Friday that Harbaugh was suspended by the Big Ten Conference. He's suspended for three games, and literally as he's getting on the plane with the team, he's suspended by the time he landed, obviously for the Connor Stallion saga, which is just, it's the funniest story ever, right, Josh? I'm enjoying every single part of this story that keeps getting added to. The whole Blake Corum stuff with him sitting <laughs> on like, in like a Lambo outside the registered address of Connor Stallion's tagging his media company or whatever it was it's just hilarious Every, everything that keeps developing in this story is it's just so funny and I'll, I'll get to it but man Sharon Moore's reaction after this game just had me absolutely pissing myself laughing <laughs> I love that every Michigan fan every Michigan player every Michigan coach acts like Jim Harbaugh tragically passed away in like a plane crash <laughs> And there's like this one's for you, coach. There's like crying he's in the hotel room. It's, yeah, he's he's crying. Man, it's so so stupid, but so much fun. And my favorite addition of the Connor Stallion saga is that he was like repairing vacuums, so he had like twelve vacuums outside his house in Ann Arbor. And like the neighbors complained that he just had these vacuums out on his porch, so they like. You know, said something to him, so he sued his HOA neighbors. Like, they're Michigan State fans. They don't want to see me win because they know that I'm a coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks like you're running a vacuum company as a shell for something, dude. <laughs> it, it probably was a shell company because apparently Blake Corm is signed to his business that is based out of... Uh, it's just so absurd. But what's even more absurd is what the Michigan run game did to the Penn State defense. Um, Michigan won this game 24-15. The score was not that close. Michigan started off with very sequent, scheduled play calling, passing a little bit, but running the ball. And then they decided, oh, we can just run all over these guys. And that's exactly what they did. And they ran the ball down Penn State's throat for 60 straight minutes. Dude, they ran the ball on 32 straight plays. 32 it, straight plays. They didn't throw in the second half. No, it's insane. The, I, think the, I think they threw twice. I think they had penalties on both throws. Like it, they so ran that, the ball on 32 straight plays in this one. It's just absurd. They they went all over this this Penn State D. I said last week I like Corum for two touchdowns. Corum got his two touchdowns. Just didn't expect them to be this dominant. They... They absolutely destroyed destroyed Penn State on the ground, and, and that's just the key contributor to this one. That's the key story to this one, that that Michigan run game is is serious. Because that Penn State front seven is good as well, and they started this game pretty well. And they came up the blocks firing, and, and then you know after the first couple of drives, Michigan just had their way with them, and, and 
that was it. It was lights out for, for Penn State from there. I think this game went exactly as we kind of imagined after watching Penn State versus Ohio State. We knew that defense was going to be able to keep them in the game, but not the entire game. They're going to need help from their offense. And if you look at the box scores, Josh, you would assume that this game was played in a hurricane with J.J. McCarthy having what, it's eight passes for 60 yards. Drew Aller, 22 passes for 70 yards. You're like, oh, they, they just couldn't throw. Like, it's a windstorm. It's a torrential downpour. No, it perfectly clear skies and Happy Valley. Uh... One team just chose not to throw the ball, and the other team could not throw the ball. And I don't know what it is. Like, why Why did we like Drew Aller again? Because he's been ass in the two biggest games of the season. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I really don't know what to expect from Drew Aller anymore. I, I, he had a couple of decent performances where it looked like the, the offense was getting into a bit of a rhythm, and then they just seemed to hit a wall. And, and that, that's been the story for them a couple of times this season. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much faith in this Penn State offense going forwards. They've 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 struggled against kind of the 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 key opponents that they've they've come up against, and yeah, yeah, not not the biggest Drew Aller fan anymore. I don't think. <laughs> and mind you, he is a freshman, and the receiving group certainly is not doing him any favors. But he just looks piss poor. Like he has arm strength, he just doesn't really have much touch, and it looks like he's kind of seen ghosts in the pocket where after his first read, he's kind of scrambling out and then maybe looking to run or just try to force something to happen. Again, it, with coaching, you can fix that. But, man, shout out Michigan. They they passed their test. You know, we're basically said Michigan's 0-0 zero and zero because they haven't played anybody. They played somebody, they performed, and they hit all the boxes. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty damn impressed with Michigan. Moving on now, the second, in my opinion, best game of this week was number five Washington taking on number 18 Utah. This is a weird one, but the Huskies were able to win 35 to 28. Uh, Utah's offense came out absolutely firing in that first half, scoring 28 points. They looked really good throwing the ball downfield, able to set up the run. And I'm like, oh, Utah's scoring 28. They're going to win this game. But shout out UW's defense. They were able to lock it down in the second half, gave up no points. And we're able to win this one 35-28. Yeah, this was a fantastic, fantastic game. And this was actually my favorite game of the week. I thought this was a better game than the Penn State-Michigan game. As you said, you know, Utah came out firing. They came out, put up 28 points, and, and, and Utah didn't really have too much of an answer. And then, out of nowhere, the Washington defense showed up for maybe the first time this season. Welcome to the 23 season, uh, Washington defense. And they completely shut Utah out. You know, they... The, the pass rush started to get after them. They were shutting down anything that, that Utah were putting at them in the run game. This was just a, a, a fantastic, fantastic game from, from Washington and just really shows their resilience. And I think that gives them a big, big boost in their chance for a, a college playoff spot because they look like a, a much more of a complete team than I thought they were, especially if this, this defense can shout like that again. Uh, but this had the stupidest, stupidest play maybe of the season. He, he picks it off runs back and he didn't just drop the ball before the end zone he dropped this ball about a full three yard short but was it a genius IQ play because they then set up a safety and then score on the following possession so it's a nine point play <laughs> it was a 400 IQ kind of play uh yeah this is the most egregious case of dropping the ball before the goal line like the classic Deshaun Jackson uh Utah fans and Oregon fans will remember Kalen Clay dropping the ball on the one-yard line in 2014, 
And then this. Shout out the Utah lineman for having like the wherewithal to jump on that. And then immediately turns into like the biggest safety. Like that running back got hit, I think, four yards <laughs> in the end zone. <laughs> that play had no chance from the get go. And then UW gets the ball back, goes down and scores. I think there's a Roma Dunze touchdown there. Which, by the way, Roma Dunze just, he's just such a baller. Oh, Roma Dunze was absolutely awesome in this one. I put a message in the chat. Uh, I think in like the third quarter of this one and it was just Roma Dante this guy is is so so good but I still think he's number two in my receiver rankings after a certain other uh, a certain other receiver went off this week who we'll get to later but yeah shout out Roma Dante I would have no issues drafting him in the first and now Josh it's interesting that you said that you think Washington's more of a complete team I'm still weary of Washington because while they had a very good game and they performed and were able to close out a game. The offense came firing in the first half, and the defense was nowhere to be found. Second half, defense steps up, but the offense slows down. And I'm like, that Washington that played Oregon was so complete. They played very well. And then since then, they haven't put it all together in a full game. And I'm still kind of waiting to see that Washington team again. So I think if they do that, they certainly are that complete team in a playoff caliber and a maybe a national championship caliber team but we just haven't seen it lately yeah no no you are right and and the offense has had struggles for a few weeks now but it was good to see them put together a strong half is a step in the right direction and, and as you say if they can put together a good half at the same time then this is a this is a real contender but we'll see they've got a couple of tough matchups coming up and, and we'll get to that in the preview show later in the week but you know they got Oregon State coming up they got Washington State still to play game. there's some good good games coming up and, and I'm excited for the the close of the season here I'm not I'm not too worried about Washington State for the Huskies but <laughs> Oregon State and then whoever they meet in the Pac-12 championship will certainly be the make or break for their season other top 10 matchup of this week Number two, Georgia, they took on number nine, Ole Miss. And Josh, stop me if you heard this one before. Georgia beating the absolute piss out of a quality team because Georgia doesn't have to try unless they have to. And they won 52-17. to 17. This game was 14-14 early in the second quarter. <laughs> Georgia goes on to just score damn near 40 unanswered and only gave up three. They, they scored double-digit points in every quarter of this game. They were just, you know, and it feels like every single week we say, another dominant Georgia performance. We'll see when they play someone. Well, they've kind of played someone now, and it was just as dominant. So, yeah, this is a this is a seriously good Georgia team. This is their 27th consecutive win, and it puts their time at the top of the AP poll, number one on the AP poll, to 22 consecutive weeks now, which is uh, still not quite a record. I think there was a USC team. Uh, back in like 07 or whenever it was that was up there for a bit longer probably but this is... 04, 05, 06 USC that's what I, I think imagine. it was that's what I think it was um, but yeah I mean the offense was really good in this one Carson Beck threw for 306 yards Kendall Milton ran for 127 yards it was just a very very solid game in in, in every phase Brock Bowers came back looked pretty good 34 yards and a touchdown his presence on the field is just a game changer he's that good he just forces the defense to to look at him wherever he is on the field takes attention away from other guys and just opens up a lot more for this Georgia team but this was a a pretty balanced attack you know they threw for 300 and they they ran for for close to that as well it's like 600 total yards in this one and 18 to 25 running for 293 it's a it's a just a very very complete very professional performance from Georgia and this is just what we've come to expect from them now 
perfection is what we expect, and that's what we got by Kirby Smart and the dogs. I said it last week, or maybe it was a week before, that this isn't the same Georgia team as the past two years because while the defense is still great, it's not like the elitist elite defense we ever seen in college football, but the offense is just incredible. The playmakers around Carson Beck, which give our flowers to Carson Beck now, he is so, so good. It took him a couple of weeks to get going, but now he is slinging it all over the field. Lad McConkie is a very legit receiver, and I think he is going to be drafted in this upcoming NFL season. The return of Brock Bowers, who I didn't even know he was playing this week, that we said before the show, Josh, like new wave of ankle surgery where he's now able to play. It's absolutely incredible, and he had a touchdown in his final home game at Sanford Stadium. Dominic Lovett, also the receiver, baller. And then Kendall Milton, the running back, who went for like 200 yards in this game, just big run after big run after big run. I, I don't remember the last time I've seen a Georgia offense this good since maybe like maybe when they had AJ Green and Matthew Stafford. I don't know. Like this is incredible. Yeah, and the defense is just as good as well. Like just as good as normal. So it's a really, really scary, scary prospect to play that I would not want to play them. Even if I'm if I'm Michigan, if I'm anyone, if I'm Ohio State, I don't really want to face this Georgia team at any point if I don't have to, because man, they look every bit as good as I've seen. I think they are my clear-cut number one team right now after what they did to Ole Miss. And granted, Ole Miss is, they're a very good team, but we've this is now the second time we've seen them get blown out in these like marquee matchups, first against Alabama a couple weeks ago, now against Georgia. Lane Kiffin said in his press conference, like he's not blaming the players at all. It's more so the coaching and the recruiting because you can see it on the field. The just disparity in talent in, like, Ole Miss has playmakers. They got great running backs. They got good quarterback. They got some good receivers. But the line play in the trenches, and then the second depth of you know the secondary, your defense, your second string, your third string, just nowhere close to Georgia. And like that is why Georgia has won what is it, damn near twenty seven straight wins. It's because these have the deepest roster. Yeah, it helps. It helps. And yeah, twenty seven straight wins proves it. It's an incredibly deep team. They lose 20 guys every year in the draft and then they just replace them with the next guys and the next year they lose 15 guys to the draft. Like, it's just it's just an absolute factory and, and yeah, clear-cut number one right now. Moving on now to Georgia, who they're going to play next week. Uh, and that's number 13, Tennessee. They took on number 14, Missouri. And we said when the rankings came out, Missouri's better than Tennessee. Missouri surely deserves a spot above Tennessee. And they proved that on Saturday. They won... 36 to 7 and a very dominant win. Missouri's a legit team, man. They ran all over Tennessee. Brady Cook didn't have to pass that much. Shout out to Cody Schrader. 35 carries, 205 yards a touchdown. He also had 116 yards receiving. It's a 300 yard performance by this kid. This is incredible. He was a former D2 guy, right? He's a walk-on. Yeah. Such a great story. 205 rush yards, 116 receiving yards and a score. Nearly broke the school record with 321 scrimmage yards and was the key reason for why Mizzou won this game. They just dominated on the ground and, and, and just completely took it to Tennessee. Tennessee's offense really struggled with some penalties in this one. Anytime they started to get a drive going, a penalty dragged it back. They turned 23 carries into only 83 yards only managed 267 through the air and you know this is meant to be a a high-paced quick-hitting fast-throwing offense that just 
couldn't get it done and, and, and when they did get any positive play it was just pulled back by by errors and you know Mizzou managed to to effectively control the clock in this one managed to, to run the ball well not give Tennessee a chance to get back into it when they got up and yeah just a professional performance from from Mizzou and you know we've liked this Mizzou team for a number of weeks now we think the passing attack's good it's the first time we've really seen the Russian attack take full effect and if they can put it together this is a this is a really good Mizzou team yeah, this is certainly a 10-win quality Mizzou team. And I was just about to say, yeah, Luther Burden, Theo Weiss, they had relatively quiet nights compared to what they've done all seasons because they really didn't need to. And this Tennessee team, you know, their, their identity this season, ironically, has been running versus passing in the last couple seasons. They couldn't get the ball moving at all. 83 yards on the ground across 23 carries. Like, shout out this Mizzou defense. They stepped up. And that's what I was kind of worried about going into this week was can Missouri's defense maybe get a stop or two to keep them in this game because you know Tennessee can score they didn't get a stop or two they got plenty of stops got some turnovers as well just an incredible incredible job there by the Tigers speaking of good Russian attacks UCF up against Oklahoma State winning 45-3 in maybe the biggest upset of the week probably yes that was the biggest upset upset. yeah this was a crazy one and and this was a really really strong Russian attack from UCF RJ Harvey went for 206 yards and three touchdowns in this one had a nice 92 yard score where they just ran a read option and he went through the middle of the O-line and just the middle of the defense and split it for 92 yards again the first night's running back to go for 100 yards in five consecutive games since back in 2007 this has just been a, a a real turnaround for UCF they had some big struggles early in the season and have started to find a bit of bit of form down the stretch and who saw them beating Oklahoma State 45-3 the real star outside of the running back is UCF's defense man the defense showed up and they really really limited what's been a very high-powered Oklahoma State offense when was the last time you saw Ollie Gordon get limited to 25 rushing yards um I can tell you it was when they played South Alabama and they just didn't give them the ball uh yeah Josh I have it in my notes here uh guess the Guess the running back to the stat line, 24 for 206 and three touchdowns, or 12 for 25? Because surely it's Ollie Gordon, the Heisman hype dark horse, that had 200 yards like he has the last couple of weeks, right? Surely. No. <laughs> Incredible. Goes for 25 yards, and yeah, it was a crazy one. This UCF defense really showed up and, and managed to force a fumble as well. So, you know, Ollie Gordon's Heisman. Heisman hopes have taken a real big hit now, I think. <laughs> um, I hope that you can cash out that ticket, Josh. <laughs> it won't be worth it. I'll be able to cash it out for like a pound. But hey, shout, <laughs> shout out John Reese Plumley though. He was uh, pretty good in this one as well, through for, for 299 yards and another three scores. Kobe, Hudson, Kobe Hudson, though, caught all three of them, which is a nice, nice line for him. They just executed really, really well all game. And I don't know how much you saw of this one, but the weather was atrocious as well. High wind, a lot of rain. And they managed to run the ball well, throw the ball well. They just executed perfectly in, in bad conditions and took down a, a, a good a good ranked opponent. So I don't understand Oklahoma State because when you think you have them figured out, you don't. Um, they had quarterback troubles in the first couple weeks of the season. And then they kind of figured it out with Alan Bowman. And he played very well. But they what they really found was Ollie Gordon is this offense. Give the ball to Ollie Gordon. They couldn't run at all in this game, so they had to rely on Alan Bowman, and he threw three picks. He looked terrible, and when you throw the ball 36 times in a rainstorm where, again, like I said, wind and rain, all those picks came off tip balls. It's because you shouldn't be throwing in these kind of conditions, and I just, you know, 
I get why you had to abandon the run game because it wasn't doing anything for you, but like throw checkdowns to Ollie Gordon. Like, I don't know. Do something. Yeah, I don't really know what happened in this one and, and how it got so out of hand, but shout out UCF though. They once they got up, they they put their foot on the on Oklahoma State's throat and they never let up and they went for four quarters and ended up taking this one forty five three. Yeah, Gus Malzahn's one hundredth victory as a head coach. Also fun little fact, Josh. Uh this is UCF. They wore their like space theme because, you know, Orlando, NASA, very interconnect interconnected. <laughs> Uh, they are undefeated when they do their space theme uniforms and space theme games. That's a fun little fact. Seven and zero. Where are we, UCF? Yeah. Well, then it's not a special. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> in a another wild one in the Big Twelve. This one, this game was going on uh, right before this Oklahoma State game kicked off. Texas Tech sixteen, number sixteen Kansas. So Jason Bean got hurt in this game, and Cole Ballard had to come in. Um, we're gonna skip over the first. 55 minutes of this game because the final five minutes were pure chaos <laughs> <laughs> yeah so let's set the scene kansas is down six they get a get a field goal here all right we're good down three need a stop and it looks like texas tech's gonna drive 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 they get a huge stop on third down and they get the ball back and cole Ballard, you know he's running the ball pretty well he's looking like jason bean out there but not you know not as good and they get inside the 10 yard line they have four downs, and they aren't able to punch it in. So they kick their field goal. They play smart. All right, you're the ranked team at home. We can beat them in overtime. We've shut this offense down. We've held them. Let's go to overtime. With 20 seconds left, sorry, 25 seconds left, Tech is able to drive down to the 15-yard line on three throws. <laughs> I thought Kansas had great defense. I thought they had a great secondary. What the hell happened? <laughs> Yeah, this is a this is a crazy crazy game and one that yeah you kind of do have to ignore the first fifty five minutes because it was so bad. I don't know how much of this one you you managed to see live, but man, I I, I was watching a good good amount of it because Bean got hurt within like with that first quarter and they had to rely on Ballard who okay it's your third string quarterback. I get it. Texas Tech's on like their third string quarterback as well. You should still be able to outperform them. <laughs> That's why this was such a such a low-scoring game, just two third-string QBs going at it. But I think I texted you at some point in the second quarter of this one, and I was like, Ballard is not good. Like, very, very objectively bad. Yeah, this is a, a real tough one for Kansas, and they're going to be hoping that, that either Bean or, or Daniels is good to go next week because they might not win another game if they have to run Ballard. Devin Neal managed to run the ball pretty well still. I think he went for a 136, 137 yards still, but that you're only going to be able to do so much of that, and Texas Tech exposed it. Yeah, they realized, like, oh, if Kansas doesn't have a playmaker at quarterback, they're very vulnerable. And when I first checked in on this game, I'm like, why is the score so low? And I saw, oh, no, Bean's out. And that explains a lot. Also, shout out Texas Tech, Taj Brooks. I mentioned it on the preview. Uh, he runs the ball very, very well. It, that That is the heart and soul of this Tech offense right now because you can't really get much done through the passing game. Uh, yeah, this is a huge win for the Red Raiders. Bowl eligibility is still in play. They're sitting at 5-5 five and five now. Tough break for Kansas because they got to their highest ranking in over 15 years and you're like all right maybe they have a chance to finish with 10 wins like that's a huge huge accomplishment for kansas you know they're kind of 
out of it for the Big 12 race, but not mathematically eliminated. Now this all but kind of seals their fate with three conference losses. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Kansas because it was uh, a promising season early and it's just not quite gone their way. They've had a few injuries, but still been a fun team to watch and they're still going to close the season out strong. Still think that'll be a, a fun one to watch. Shout out Gino Garcia on Texas Tech. He accounted for, for 10 of Texas Tech's 16 points with a 32-yard, 31-yard and 30-yard field goal. Pretty impressive. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. All right. We're just going to go through now the top 25 because, you know, at this point in the season, this is what matters. And the number one Ohio State Buckeyes took on Michigan State. Marvin Harrison scored the first three touchdowns in this game. They won 38-3. I think Marvin Harrison just won this game on its own. He was on the first three drives as well. It's just like, trot him out, go for three, bench him, let's go home. (laughs) They didn't even need to score after that. MSU only scored three points. And I said it on our preview show last week. I like a Marvin Harrison touchdown. That was an easy one. That was a very easy one. Uh, I think he should firmly be sitting in the top four of that Heisman conversation. Top three, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, comfortably. This is, I want to say, his fifth or... Oh, shout NYPD outside my uh, <laughs> outside my window. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, yeah, I think this is his sixth seventh straight game with a touchdown and maybe i'm gonna check right now fourth or fifth with multiple touchdowns is like absolutely insane right now he is just on a tear what we haven't seen from an ohio state receiver in a long time and they've had a lot of good receivers damn good receivers as well so that's saying something just to how good marvin harrison is yeah six straight games with a touchdown three straight with at least two touchdowns dude's a ball <laughs> insane Jumping now to the ACC, number four, Florida State. They defeated Miami 27-20. to Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson did come back for this game, but it was really the legs of Trey Benson that helped Florida State win this game. Tyler Van Dyke got benched to start because Tyler Van Dyke sucks, and Emory Williams made his first start, and he looked pretty good. Don't, don't, don't pay attention to the stat line. It's, it's not that good, but it's still an improvement over Tyler Van Dyke. But he breaks his arm, going extending for the ball on the fourth down. Gets the fourth down, so you know, props to him. He's a young freshman trying to make a play. Then Tyler Van Dyke comes in with a chance to win the game, and what does he do? He throws an interception. <laughs> TM, that's trademark Tyler Van Dyke now. <laughs> Come in, close the game out with the pig. That's the Tyler Van Dyke way. Any thoughts on this game, Josh? Keon Coleman came back with a score. Johnny Wilson came back with 82 yards. You know, we said they missed them. They did help them. They opened up some of the run game, as you said. Trey Benson managed to run pretty effectively in this one. A bit closer than I thought it was going to be, but wasn't expecting Miami's second-string quarterback to be better than Van Dyke, even though, you know, we don't like Van Dyke that much. Yeah, we're surprised by how close this one is, but I think FSU are just starting to get back onto, just get the offense rolling again. They've had a few injuries and a few sort of blocks to get past, and... They've got all their guys back now, so hopefully they can get it right down the stretch and into the playoffs. Yeah, I never thought Florida State was in danger of losing this game, but it is a little surprising. It is rivalry spot against Miami. It is a little surprising, though, that you let up that much against a not-so-good Miami team. Also, I don't know how much you saw this game. This is probably one of the worst officiated games you'll ever see. A phantom no-safety call at the end of the first half that it should have gave Miami two points. Jordan Travis got tackled in the end zone. His knees are in the end zone, and they don't call safety on that. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I'll have to look that one up. 
it's egregious. And even the uh, announcers were like, we're trying to talk with the replay booth right now, and they won't give us any answers as to why that wasn't a safety. Because <laughs> it was Absolutely egregious. swaying. Like, <laughs> that should have yeah. been a safety. Moving on now, the late game. The game that stressed me out a little bit too much. Number six, Oregon. They defeated a number unranked USC now, 36-27. to uh, The score does not indicate how much of a blowout this game was. It was never close. Bo Nix started two for two with over 140 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> for the second play of the game for Oregon, they throw a back shoulder to Tez Johnson, and he breaks two tackles, goes 70 yards, and then their fourth play, fifth play, throws it to um, uh, Troy Franklin. He just takes off. Like, it was a slant. And he just beats everybody to the sideline. And you're like, okay, yeah, this this game's over. Troy Franklin averaged 73 and a half yards on two catches in this game. <laughs> and he almost scored on that second catch. It was a deep ball. And he sprinted to the, to the sideline and just steps out slightly. Yeah. Uh, I am disappointed with Oregon because they could have easily scored 50 on this. They kind of shut it down in the second half, maybe because they saw Bucky Irving limp off the field, but he came back later in the game. He's fine. And then there was like early in the fourth quarter, a weird defensive pass interference called on a fourth down. Oregon got the stop and it would have put them inside the 30 yard line. And they probably would have gone down and score that gave USC more life. Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams did like he, Caleb Williams played pretty well in this game, but just the rest of USC is so bad. It's just a classic, classic USC game now, right? The offense puts up nearly 400 yards, but they concede 550 yards and, and 36 points again. You know, we said they're probably going to struggle to win maybe another game this season with that defense, and it's going to be tough for Caleb. I thought we looked okay in this game. He missed a lot of passes. Was a what was his stat line? 19 for 34. Did put up 291 and a score with, with no turnovers. Was was okay, but yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough. The offense has started to leak, especially on the offensive line, which has just made things a little bit little bit tricky coming down the stretch. And the defense is doing absolutely nothing, as they have done all year. You know, they got rid of Grinch, but he wasn't the only problem there. Yeah, the, the talent, on especially in the secondary and in the front seven, is just not there. Uh, USC did backdoor cover this one. Kind of surprised on that one. And I mentioned Utah. They haven't, or excuse me, I mentioned Washington earlier. They haven't looked that complete for a full game in a couple of weeks. Even Oregon in the last two weeks, they haven't put together a full game. That first half against Cal, they played pretty sloppily. And then the second half against USC, they played pretty sloppily. You'd want to see both these teams, again, put it together against each other like they did um, in the rematch. Moving on, number seven, Texas. They... Somehow escaped another one, 29-26 against TCU. Quinn Ewers returned, and he looked he looked all right. He had a really bad pick. I don't know if you saw this one, Josh. Tries a deep ball to Xavier Worthy, underthrown by 10 yards, and, like, he wasn't hit. He had no pressure in his face. It's just that, that shoulder injury or that um, collarbone injury, I think that might be affecting his arm strength because he just underthrew this one bad. They threw a pick. Texas's defense... But what are they doing in the second half, Josh? It's now back-to-back weeks where they let their opponent back in the game with a chance to win. Yeah, the defense is is concerning for me. I'm I'm not as concerned about kind of you as because I think 
the pick was ugly, but it was still relatively efficient in this one. The receivers are bailing them out as well. Shout out to to three of the guys on this team: Xavier Worthy, Jonathan Brooks, and Adonai Mitchell. We said, you know, at the start of the year, how good these guys are, and, and in this game, they are the reason that they managed to win this one. It was only by three points, but they were fighting. You know, three catches for seventy-four yards, twenty-four point seven average for Jonathan Brooks. Three for sixty-one, twenty average on Adonai Mitchell. Ten for one thirty-seven for for Xavier Worthy. They were just fighting and and were just too much for TCU in the end. But yeah, this I'd be a little bit concerned if I was Texas. And I said last week I was a little bit concerned just on the offensive side without you as you as came back and as you, you know, wasn't wasn't outstanding but wasn't awful. But the defence, man, that wasn't where my concerns were and, and yeah, that's a little bit concerning to see them let up twenty six points to TCU. And yeah, again, like I said back to back weeks that they let a team back in the second half after comfortably being in front maybe that's a coaching thing on sark maybe it's like indicative of the defense um going back to adonai mitchell though his body control is unreal i think i might like him a little bit more than savior worthy now just some of those catches that he's making the adjustments he can make on a back shoulder high point in the ball just finds spots to sit down and i'm really impressed with this game and you mentioned brooks Unfortunately, he left this game with a torn ACL. He's done for the season, and that is a huge blow for Texas because he really was the unsung hero of the offense. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really tough one for Texas, but I do think they have their two best guys in Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy, and I think you're 100% right. I have Adonai Mitchell over Worthy. Adonai Mitchell is quite high on my receiver list right now. I think he's been balling for a few weeks now. Speaking of balling for a couple of weeks, Alabama, they smoked Kentucky 49-21. Again, it was not that close. Kentucky, <laughs> they put up 21. It was not that close. Jalen Milrow, balled. Like, th- this probably was his best game of the year. He had three touchdowns in the air, three touchdowns on the ground. Like, Six the dude, touchdown game. Like, insane. Like, that's, a, that's unreal. And he did have a pick, which was kind of ugly, but it, it's Don't matter when you, you put up six scores. Yeah, like you, you're allowed to throw a pick. I'd let him have two picks if he gets if he put up six touchdowns. Yeah, shout out Milro, man. Threw the ball for 234 yards, ran the ball for for only 36 yards, but three scores. Like just just very very precise dismantling of Kentucky. They just went went into this one, just beat them in every phase of the game. I didn't think Kentucky ever ever really looked like they were in this one. Alabama came out and put 21 points up in the first quarter, and the game was done from there. Yeah, Alabama scored on their first three possessions. Again, all Milrow touchdowns. Jumping back to Thursday now, number 11 Louisville. They had to come back and defeat UVA 31-24. UVA is, you know how I feel about UVA, I love them. A team of chaos because they only lose in one-score games. And this one was kind of scary. The running back for UVA, uh, Paris Jones, he had to go to the hospital with spinal surgery and... Sounds like his playing career is likely done. He is recovering. It sounds like he's gotten better, but it was a very scary sight. And it was like a weird play where he catches or he runs it, takes a big hit, fumbles the ball, but then a UVA player scoops and like picks it up and continues to play and scores. But you know he got knocked out of the game and had to go to the hospital. It was a very scary scene on that one. Yeah, that's tough. You never like to see that, but. This game was crazy. I don't know if you saw, if you look at the box score for this game, 
This was. Uh, no, I watched the game. I know it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the second half looks insane. UVA scored 21 points unanswered in the third quarter, and then Louisville scored 17 points in the fourth quarter to win this one, 31-24. This game looked crazy. I didn't see this one live, but this one looked like a fun one. I watched that instead of Thursday Night Football because Thursday Night Football was awful. Uh, Anthony Calandra, the backup for UVA, he's like the most insane freshman quarterback ever. Like this dude is just plays with reckless abandonment, and I kind of love it. <laughs> Moving on now, number 12, Oregon State. They took care of Stanford, 62-17. Shout out Damian Martinez with four touchdowns on this one. Uh, any thoughts on this one, Josh? DJU's been playing some decent football. I know he only threw the ball 19 times, but he's been playing some decent football for the last few weeks. Shout out DJU, shout out Oregon State. Don't think anyone yeah, expected were... him to lose this one against Stanford, but they've been playing some decent ball. And they have a big matchup at home against Washington this coming Saturday. We'll get to that later this week. Also taking care of business, number 16, Oklahoma. They beat West Virginia 59-20. A nice bounce back spot for Oklahoma to stop the losing skid. Yeah, yeah, not too much to say on this one other than Dylan Gabriel threw five touchdowns, 423 yards. Just a very, very, you know, very, very solid performance that you can say for, for Dylan Gabriel in this one. And someone that had a spectacular performance number 19 lsu they defeated florida 52 35 jane daniels should be the front runner for the heisman right without a doubt didn't he account for 600 yards in this game yes and the heisman is given to the most valuable player on a team uh and also you know one of the best players the lsu team has like five wins four wins without him it just insane just insane yeah shout out Shout out Jane Daniels. He's someone that I would very, very happily draft in April. 370 through the air, 230 on the ground, uh, five total touchdowns. <laughs> Number 21, Arizona. They won a very close one against Colorado, 34-31. They kicked the field goal at the buzzer to win this one. Dion, you just became fish food. I love this Arizona team. We've said it every single week, but man... Who's next to who's next to the grinder? Who's, who's Arizona got next? Uh, Utah. Oh, that's going to be a great game. That's going to be a really really fun game. Yeah. Shout out. Uh, yeah. Shout out for Fia. Another solid performance as well. He's been good for a few weeks now. Last four weeks, he's had pretty good performances. And McMillan, the receiver, he had an insane one-handed touchdown grab in the end zone. Oh, is a beauty. Uh, I do want to give props though to Colorado. This is the best they've looked in a long time. They jumped out to an early lead in this one, and I was a bit worried because they looked pretty good early in this one. When when they came out, I was um, you know, rooting for Arizona in this one. They came out hot and was, was a bit worried, but yeah, Arizona managed to get it done in the end. I did not think this was going to be three points. This was a 11-point uh, line to start the week. Went down to eight mm-hmm. before kickoff, and I thought they were going to cover eight easily. Did not see this one being a three-pointer. Yeah, I did not either. Um, maybe Colorado is starting to slowly figure it out, but they are in danger of not making it a bowl. I think everyone, I think Vegas had the line at three and a half for wins of Colorado, and they might be dead on the ringer because they don't, I don't think they're going to win any more games this year. Moving on now, number 23, Tulane. They again hold on against a bad opponent in Tulsa. They won 24 to 22. Um, the American Conference right now, the top three are all undefeated. Tulane, SMU, UTSA. UTSA and Tulane will play at the end of the season for a chance of the American Championship. And it's going to be chaos. <laughs> it's going to be chaos because this Tulane team has not been throwing the ball very well for a few weeks now. They're running the ball okay. They're running the ball well enough to survive, but they're not, they're not throwing the ball well at all. 
I'd have not seen Tulsa throwing the ball for 345 on a score compared to Tulane's 194 one score and one pick. But shout out Tulsa, they nearly got it done here. I'm not convinced by this Tulane team. They're nine and one, but man, I'm not either. They're a scrappy nine and one. At, I wouldn't say scrappy. I think it's a bad nine and one. The <laughs> last four weeks, they've had to hang on to victories by one score. Like they haven't looked convincing really since. I don't know if that Ole Miss game, that was a pretty good game, but they lost that one. Yeah, they have FAU to close out the season. And then, like I mentioned, Frank Harris and those UTSA Roadrunners at the end of the season. That's going to be a fun one. Another fun one, and I wish I watched more of this game live, was number 24 UNC. They defeat Duke 47-45 in double overtime. This was an awesome game. It was 39 points in the fourth quarter in this one. So it was just absolute chaos. Also... When you look at the stats, it doesn't make sense how this was close. Because UNC Mm-mm. outgained them 537 well, to 379. I know why it was close. It's because UNC couldn't close out in the red zone. They kicked six field goals in this game. Yeah. Yeah, that's not great. That's not... That, that'll that do it. That'll do it. They kicked six field goals and still put up 47 points. It's not bad. You know though. why? It's because Tez... Tez uh, Walker and Omarion Hampton, those two are just electric. Yeah, Tez Walker's great, man. Seven catches, 162. Omarion Hampton ran for 169 in the score. Drake May was decent in this one, 28 for 43, threw the ball for 342. The pick was a little bit ugly, but managed to yeah. run in for two scores as well. Yeah, you know, I think his draft stock seems to have only been going in one direction and it's not up. But the quarterback draft hype goes crazy, so don't expect to see him falling outside the top. The top three or four, I wouldn't have thought. I actually think May had a very good game outside of that interception because he made shit happen. There was a third and seven, and like he's running the ball, it stopped. And as he's being brought down, pitches it out to Hampton, and Hampton scampers for like 15 yards to keep the drive going. And then there was another one, like a two-point conversion, where he's being tackled and just flicks it right into the end zone to the tight end. Like He, he made shit happen. He willed them to this uh, victory. Do want to give a shout out though to Duke? They played very well with their backup quarterback. I think that they have an answer going forward in the future when Riley Leonard is no longer there. Yeah, it was a it was a fun one. It was a great rivalry game that one that I've been looking forward to for a couple of weeks. Just too bad that Duke lost some of the momentum after that Riley Leonard injury. And then our final game in the top twenty five, number twenty five Kansas State. They defeat Baylor fifty nine twenty five. And I think it's time for Dave Aranda to go. <laughs> yeah, the defense is really, really struggling this year. The offense wasn't that bad in this one. They threw the ball for, for 250 and four touchdowns. But, man, that defense has been struggling all year. You know, giving up 21 points, 14 points, 17 points, 7 points, and quarter by quarter. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough look, and you're going to struggle to win any games. I, I very sadly put the hoodie, the Baylor hoodie on to, to film the podcast, and I was hoping that we wasn't going to talk about this game, but... I saw you add it to the list. <laughs> God, God, talk about the top 25, Josh. Uh, yeah, this one was 21-7 at the blink of an eye, and that's really, that's all you needed to know. Wrapping it up quickly, uh, we're just going to go around all the conferences. Josh, I'm just going to list out the games. You feel free to chime in wherever you'd like on these games. Starting in the ACC, Clemson beats the brakes off of Georgia Tech, 42-21. Clemson is now bowl eligible. Syracuse, they stopped their losing skid. They defeat Pitt 28-13 in Yankee Stadium. If I knew this game was being played in Yankee Stadium to start the week, I probably would have gone. And then finally, Virginia Tech, 
they were only three and a half point favorites on Boston College. I'm like, why is this line so low? Give me Boston College. No, they beat the brakes off Boston College, 48-22, and their bowl eligibility is still alive. Yeah, I don't know what happened in that Virginia Tech-Boston College game, but didn't didn't see that beat down coming. Quick shout out to Clemson, though. I think I was expecting this Georgia Tech offense to show a bit more here, but this Clemson defense has shown that they're they're pretty real for a couple weeks in a row now. So, yeah, I'm kind of kind of watching this Clemson team quite closely now to close the year out because I was not convinced by them at all. But this defense has looked very very good for two weeks consecutively now. So, defense wins championships if they can have a very solid defense. There's no reason why they don't close the season out with a couple more wins. And K Club, like probably his best game of the year 23 for 34, 200 yards, and four touchdowns. Closing out the Big 12 block, Cincinnati beats Houston 24 14. Cincinnati gets their first Big 12 victory as a school. And then Iowa State, they beat the brakes off of BYU 45 13. Iowa State is in their, they control their own destiny to close out the season to get into the Big 12 championship. That got them bowl eligible as well. Six and four, Iowa State. A very shocking story of Iowa State because we thought they were dead in the water after like half their team got suspended for gambling. Yeah, yeah, it's been a big bounce back for Iowa State. Shout out, shout out Iowa. Jumping over to the Big Ten now, Illinois defeats Indiana in a weird overtime game, forty-eight forty-five. Maryland beats Nebraska thirteen to ten in true Big Ten West fashion. Purdue. Big upset victory over over Minnesota. They won 49-30. And I think the shocker of the Big Ten weekend, Northwestern beats Wisconsin 24-10. Yeah, yeah, some some ugly games here. Uh, and I don't know if you saw much of the actual Nebraska game, but Jeff Sims threw for 62 yards and two interceptions. Which is my- I saw Nebraska played, I think, three of their quarterbacks, and all three of them looked bad. I thought they had it figured out with uh, Harenberg. Nope. Jeff Sims is hot garbage well here's their here's their three quarterback lines eight for 13 62 yards and two picks one for five one pick zero yards one for three 24 yards one pick <laughs> oh my god four interceptions about 90 yards <laughs> incredible hey that got maryland bowl eligible that stopped their losing skid uh shout out northwestern dude though like i thought they were going to be the worst team in the big 10 this year after they fired their coach for all the horrible things that were going on I'm actually kind of surprised Wisconsin lost this game. Both teams are now sitting at 5-5. Five and five. They just need one more victory to get the bowl eligible for the, each of them. And, yeah, moving on to the Pac-12 block. A uh, what-the-fuck-happened-in-this-game game. Arizona State, 17. UCLA, 7. And then Cal, 42. Wazoo, 39. What? Yeah, really, really weird week in the Pac-12. Uh, I watched back this ASU-UCLA game and I still don't really understand how, <laughs> how ASU won it. So it was just ugly from both sides. 300 yards of offense for UCLA, 250 for ASU. Just uh, 3 of 11 on, on third down for U- for UCLA, 4 of 15 for, for ASU. Just both teams played badly. One team just didn't play as badly as the other. <laughs> in, Arizona, in Arizona State's defense, they have nobody on their team. This is just UCLA poorly playing i think this might be the end of chip kelly like they this offense looked bad in a couple straight weeks remember they were ranked in the top 25 not too long ago and the defense looked really really good defense looked really good but they only had the ball for 23 minutes of offense in this one they just didn't control the ball well at all didn't manage to throw the ball well at all actually ran the ball fairly decently but just couldn't get anything going in the red zone couldn't couldn't score 
No, not at all. And for Arizona State, shout out Cameron Scadaboo is like the most best kept secret right now in the Pac-12 and like one of the most underrated players. He is the entire offense. He ran for a touchdown. He threw a touchdown, had a couple of receptions. Like, dude is just a scrappy running back that I absolutely love. And when I say scrappy, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, this, I'm worried as an Oregon fan for when they take on Oregon because I think this Arizona State team is like just patching together an offense. They ran a swing gate in this game and they <laughs> they said they had to Google what the swing gate was <laughs> to install it. I think that's awesome. Shout out Kenny Dillingham, man. And then our last couple of games here. We're going to close it out in the SEC block. South Carolina has a huge victory over Vanderbilt, 47-6. Auburn with an offensive explosion, 48-10 over Arkansas. And Jimbo Fisher um, got fired after winning a game. That, that's hilarious. And then Mississippi State's coach, Zach Arnett, also got fired. <laughs> they owe him, what, $78 million, $79 million? <laughs> They owe him $76 million. Um this is for our YouTube and audio uh, friends only. Yeah. Wave the flag. Wave the flag. <laughs> Bye, Jimbo. Bye, Jimbo. If those of you only listening, there. Tyler is currently waving a Texas A&M flag. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bye, Bye, Jimbo. Crude oil, I think, hit like $90 a barrel, so that's why they fired. <laughs> we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but our final game, and we're going to end out our games as we always do. The line closed, folks. At 27 and a half for the third consecutive week. It's the most all time low points total in a game. And Iowa defeats Rutgers 22 to nothing. Hey, 22 points in offensive explosion for Iowa. <laughs> I, I don't care what you say. This is a great win for an Iowa offense. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And, and what was it we said the other week? If there's one thing Ferentz is going to give us, it's a winning bet every single week. And it's the Iowa under. Death taxes and Iowa unders <laughs> I have read a stat I think it was Chris Vanini from The Athletic uh, if every Big Ten West coach had that contract of you have to average 25 points a game all the OCs in the Big Ten West would be fired <laughs> none of them no team is averaging 25 points right now in the Big Ten West and that is beautiful to me <laughs> it's pure sicko football that is it's pure sicko football alright there's been some big news in college football in the last couple of days and I mentioned it Jimbo Fisher has been fired from the Texas A&M University they finally said you know we can't do it anymore I don't care that you're bowl eligible now uh we gotta fire you and gosh the best thing about this is they were beating the brakes off Mississippi State like this they were also on their third string quarterback like I don't care what you say you're on a third string quarterback that's tough to do and they put up 55 points I think their highest total of the season and at halftime you know Jimbo's trying to get the boys all fired up and they present a check at midfield for I think it was 170 70 uh, ungodly amount of money that the booster club raised and that money was used to buy out <laughs> Jimbo's contract as he's in the locker room that is the most savage thing in the world where you are you're holding out the check that is firing the coach. That's at halftime. They already decided they were going to fire Jimbo after last week's performance against Ole Miss. And they made a decision on Thursday. They let him coach this game. And 
They're up at halftime, and they parade around a giant check that is going to be used to fire him. That is the funniest fucking thing in the entire world. It's like when you're watching a film and the audience knows that something bad's about to happen, but the main character that it's about to happen to has no idea it's coming. And just everyone in the stadium is just watching this check get paraded around while he's in the locker room. <laughs> it... <sighs> oh, man. Josh, you know what my dream job is? Go on. It's to be a fired Power 5 football coach <laughs> because Jimbo is getting $70 million to get out of there. Fully guaranteed. I... I would be living the best life. I would be living my best life. Um, fun fact about this for all you Aggies out there. Kevin Sumlin had a better winning percentage than Jibbo Fisher. And he cost about $80 million less. So. Damn. Damn. That's, that's, that's cool. funny. That, that's not cool. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> uh, Josh, who do you think they're going to go for? Ooh, good question. Good question. I mean, Harbaugh might be out the job. <laughs> I think Harbaugh's probably going to the NFL. I would hope he goes to the NFL, but he's already turned the NFL down once. I, he's, I feel like he's turned around, turned down the NFL every every off year. season. I don't, no way in hell Jim goes to goes there. Uh, I was asking my friend, shout out Cole, friend of the program, big Aggie fan, of kind of his thoughts of who he wants to uh, coach their team. Uh, some of them, Mike Elko, Duke's head coach, who was a former DC at A and M. I think that's a great choice. Uh, Jeff Trailer, the UTSA head coach, I think is a very good choice. He also wants Dan Campbell because <laughs> Dan Campbell played there. There's no way in hell an NFL coach is leaving to go coach in college. If they pay him 108 million. <laughs> well, yeah, unless the bag's really good. There's there's no way they're that dumb to give a fully guaranteed contract again, right? Mm, mm, this is college football. I feel like it. <laughs> I feel like this happens. I saw a hilarious one of uh, they should send Jimbo to uh, the Qatari campus and tell him to coach the team out there. <laughs> I am not going to make the jokes that I'm about to make because so, I don't want I don't want to get canceled on this one. Um, yeah, just a couple other names that I've seen thrown out on this one. Uh, our boy Jed Fish, I think that could be a good one. Uh, Mike Norvell or Mike Norvell from Florida State, that would be hilarious if they got Norvell. They already took one Florida State coach. Might as well take another. Kalen DeBoer, the Washington coach. Urban Meyer. <laughs> I couldn't think of a worse person to go to a worse place. Um, Dan Quinn, potentially. And I swear to God, if they take Dan Lane from Oregon, I will go scorched earth on everything and everyone. <laughs> the other coach got fired in this game. Also, when's the last time two teams played each other and fired both their coaches right after? Yeah, probably quite a long time, especially at this point in I, the season as well. Yeah, there's two weeks left in the season. A&M's bowl eligible. Like, they're going to play in a bowl game with Bobby Petrino as their head coach for three games. That's funny to me. Uh, Zach Arnett, I mentioned, fired from Mississippi State. Only after nine games into his coaching career. Uh, kind of shitty, if you ask me, because the reason that he took over for this team was for a very tragic reason with the, the passing of Mike Leach. And, yeah, Mississippi State's been bad this year, but... They, you don't fire a guy after nine games into his career, right? They've not been nine of the best games, but definitely does feel soon. And as you say... You they know, beat Arizona. Who have been good this year, it's true. But yeah, that's a, that's a great win for them. Yeah, it's it's tough to sack someone that early in. You don't really know what you've got, unless unless behind closed doors, he's that bad. <laughs> maybe, 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 yeah, 
I don't know. He's a San Diego State guy also, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything on him. Um, Andy Avalos, the Boise State head coach, he was let go again after they won. They won 42 to 14 against New Mexico, and he got fired. I get why though, because he's in danger of like missing out on a bowl game for like the first time in decades for Boise State. Boise State has just always been constantly good, like constantly nine win good. In the last couple of seasons, Avalos has just not looked it. I don't know how much Boise State you watched, you watched Josh, but it's not the same feel that we've seen for the last decade plus. Yeah, yeah, I don't watch too much Boise State, but I, I, I get turned away by that that horrible field. <laughs> hey, that's a beautiful field. It's an institution of college football. And then also news out of this morning, Brady Hoke is stepping down. He's retiring after this season uh, at San Diego State. Again, San Diego State is quietly one of the worst teams in all of college football. They lost this past week to Colorado State 22-19. I've had this rant before because as a San Diego native, a proud son of two SDSU alumnus and the brother of an SDSU alum, there's no reason San Diego State should be this bad. They should be a 9-win, 8-win team perennially. There's so much talent in the San Diego area. There's so much talent in the Los Angeles area. There's a lot of talent in the Phoenix metro area. That is very easy to recruit. And you just built a brand new, nice stadium. You're having this nice campus building around the area. There should be hype and excitement. San Diego is the most beautiful place on earth. It's 70 degrees there permanently. There's the best Mexican food in all of America. It's what more could you ask for for an 18-year-old student? You got the Jack in the Box and the Rubio's NIL money. Only, like, five people will understand that reference. Um, yeah, and they just suck ass. And they have sucked ass since Brady Oak took over and has refused to recruit. Yeah, it's tough. I've heard you rant about this before, and, and it doesn't sound like anything's changed in, at least in this season of us covering it. Maybe, maybe next year. Come again. Come again next year. they got a new coach Come coming again. in, so. <laughs> yeah. I think they, uh, my dad mentioned this to me, they might hire Zach Arnett, because like I mentioned, he coached at San Diego State before as a DC. Could I feel like that could be a good fit for him, because Arnett, this was his first head coaching job, coaching for Mississippi State. I think coaching at San Diego State is probably like a better starting point for your coaching career, not Starksville, Mississippi. <laughs> you just set Mississippi fans on fire. Oh, all three <laughs> listeners. Um, Josh, any other thoughts from the wacky world that is college football? Yeah, we're going to jump to the Ivy League for a huge shout-out to Harvard, who won the Ivy League in triple overtime on the Philly special, 25-23. Just absolute carnage in this one. And shout-out Harvard. That was an awesome ending. I'm ashamed of myself. I did not know this was happening or going on. And I like to pride myself as a Ivy enjoyer. Oh my god! I need to watch this game after, like, because <laughs> have you seen now the play? Ivy, you have to tell me you've seen the play. No, I haven't. I haven't seen, seen any. I didn't know any of this has happened. The so the Ivy League structured kind of unique, where they don't play preseason games or uh, out of conference games. They don't compete in the FCS playoff. They only play round robin against each other, and it's you know whoever has the best record at the end of the season wins the ivy league so the fact that they got that in a triple overtime on a philly special oh they beat penn also oh that's awesome i sent you to play i want your live reaction i'll uh i'll, I'll put the video of the i'll put the play on the screen for anyone watching as well oh from the sickles committee shout my favorite twitter account oh the quarterback's wide open 
Oh, all thousand of those fans are going crazy. <laughs> Just runs and throws oh, the helmet. Oh, the quarterback like, rips geeks. the helmet off. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's such a good way oh, to win the so Ivy League. Good. At home, too. Harvard's got some beautiful uniforms. Yeah. Yeah, they're so nice. They're so nice. Sh- Shout out the nerds up there at Harvard. They're decent. Eight and one this year, man. Decent this year. Yeah, they're they're good. I should check out a game because Columbia, they don't, they don't play that far from where I live. I should see like a, a good Ivy League game. That'd be fun. That's awesome. Speaking of FCS upsets, it'll be the last one. Did you see it was Eastern Kentucky versus Central Arkansas on the Hail Mary? No, I saw Hail Mary doing the rounds on Twitter, but I didn't realize, did, did, didn't really pay attention to the game. Was that from the Central let Arkansas me try, game? Let me find that one for you. I'll get your live reaction. <laughs> also, get ready to shield your eyes because Central Arkansas, their field is purple and gray. Oh. Yeah, it's tough. That's tough. This field is horrible. Oh my god, this field is horrible. Alright, Josh, watch this. Oh, clip. scramble left. He got hit hard as he threw that as well. <laughs> the tipped catch. The tipped catch. That is one of the best ways you'll ever win a game. Is a tipped Hail Mary that goes in. That's better than just catching the Hail Mary. Look at the field's so- clear as well while they're still fighting for the ball on the bottom. <laughs> the whole field is like pitch invasion and they're still fighting for the ball on the bottom of the pile. Coach walking around with his arms in the air. <laughs> That's a great play. That's a great play. So, Josh, you're talking crap on Boise State's field. How's Central Arkansas? That's worse. I'd rather I'd rather <laughs> look at the Boise State field because that is tough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's just about do it for this week's episode. Again, we'll have our preview show for our Week 12 games coming out later this week, probably Thursday, maybe early Friday, just depending on availability. This is the make-or-break week for a lot of teams. This is how conference championships are going to be decided. This is how the playoff race is going to shake out. I think the phrase is cream rises to the top, and we're about to find out who's going to rise to the top this week. Two games left. Two games to go to to make your make your claim. So it's about to get real spicy. I'm excited. I am too. All right, that'll do it. Uh, check us out on the YouTube. Uh, Josh, can we f- officially announce the... TFU U channel going to be can, separate from yeah. the main Thinking Football channel. I think we can, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be hosting all of the all the podcasts on the new TFU YouTube channel. I'll put the link in all the descriptions of the podcast. Um, but yeah, check us out there. So we kind of got the podcast channel now and the main channel. But... Yeah, uh, check us out on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Thinking Football. Subscribe to us on TikTok, Instagram. We're posting clips. Um, I'm slowly going through some receiver tapes, some running back tape. Going to probably post that in the last, eh, next couple of weeks after the regular season finishes up of just all these awesome receivers that we've been loving the past couple of weeks. Marvin Harrison, Troy Franklin, Roma Dunze. Some of the running backs we love, Ollie Gordon, uh, Bucky Irving, uh, Amari Hampton. Hampton. Yeah, all these, all these great players. We're going to get some, some good tape out as well. Um, yeah. For Josh, I'm Tyler. Everyone have a great rest of your week and talk to you later.